near Junction, which is in St. Elizabeth. I would have worked in, in, in Springfield in St. Elizabeth, further to the west, just on the border with Westmoreland, and, and in Kingston. So um, that would have been between the period 82 to 99 would have been um, the period of my pastoral work in Jamaica. And then, of course, again, in between 2003 and 2005, I was president of the Moravian Church in Jamaica, and, um, and so would have been based as a full-time administrator in Kingston. That's one. That's a pretty extensive ministry. So, give us a little insight into how we were you were drawn to this um, ministry in the faith sphere. Yeah. Well. Um, well, first of all, to the matter of um, uh, to the matter of ministry. Yes, I, I I became involved in the in the Morgan ministry as having been I, I think would have come under the influence of first of all my parents um, and um, and then uh, my pastor my pastor would have been at the Faber at the time the late uh, Bishop Robert Cuthbert would have been someone who would have influenced me as a youngster as well. And um, once I completed um, A levels, I, um, I I had the call, a sense of being called to the pastoral ministry, and so and so um, was accepted for study at the um, United Theological College of the West Indies. And it was there that I um, I think it was in my final year really that I I became uh, particularly interested in issues relating to other faiths and um, and so in a sense it has been a uh, an undercurrent in my pastoral interest and my theological interest from that time and would have um, in a sense come to full of bloom during the time that I served on the Central Committee of the World Council of Churches and would have served in the Faith and Order Commission where I had the opportunity then to specialize in terms of my own interest and so my interest in world religions would have been uh, would have been nurtured significantly there. And so my, my graduate studies and my postgraduate studies then came to focus on the area of um, Christianity and other religions. Wow, that's pretty interesting. And thank you for that insight. Well, we need folks like you, like we never needed them before, because we see as the world becomes smaller and we've in Throughout history, there's always been a clash of civilization where faith practices or different faith practices actually dominated history. Um, given your study, what are some of the key findings that you think we should be considering to defang religious conflict? Yeah, religious conflict, um, uh, maybe it's, a, it's, it's, it's more, it's a little overrated in some sense, in the sense that a lot of the conflicts that we have internationally that at the bottom really it's not so much about religion and religious affirmation that it has to do with other issues of power but let me stay with the issue of religious conflict first of all that yes from the we may we may well say that um, from the time of the 12th century there has been a significant tension between um, say world religions like Christianity and Islam, um, and, and, and in a way that has continued as a as a way of tension um, through the through the centuries. However, 
uh, even before that, they would have been existed within Christianity itself. There would have been significant tension between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. Within Islam itself, mm -hmm. there would have been significant tension. Um, you know, so what in fact came of the Islamic Empire had a lot to do with the internal conflict between the different factions within Islam. So religious conflict is not simply an issue between um, the world religions themselves, but it may also be within the religions. And if we think of other world religions like, um, like, uh, like say Buddhism, um, even though it has an atheistic orientation, there are, there are significant differences within the Buddhist community, and they make also for conflict and, 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 and some amount of tension. So the, the idea of the clash of civilization, I think, may be, I think, um, a, a little overstated and may not really reflect the reality that we actually are living in in terms of religious, uh, religious orientation. There is as much tension, I would may say, between Christian, within Christ, between Christian groups now within Christianity, even though it may not spill over into as um, significant violent conflict, but the way in which it has impacted the relationship between communities. If we think of, say, of a country like the United States, where you have significant difference in terms of religious, religious orientation, and you have left-leaning right. um, Christian affirmation, you have right-leaning, and um, you have so you you have a more liberal wing of Christianity and a more conservative wing, and that these things make for internal conflict, which I believe impact even significantly on the geopolitics locally within the United States as much as um, what may be called the relationship between Christianity and, and Islam, broadly speaking. So this right. is an important thing to recognize, that the conflict is not... It, it, it would be too simplistic to see the conflict simply as a conflict between the world religions. Having said that, okay. um, I, think, I think there are important things that um, religious actors, whether they be within a particular religious tradition or between the religious traditions, um, they should, should, should really try to practice. One of the things that I have found that is critical is how important it is for religious actors to know accurately information about the other. Many times what has happened is that misinformation by people who sometimes are expected to know better, but misinformation or ignorance has been a significant factor in creating myths and also creating misinformation. Okay. Another important that. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say given that Speak to, since the, the audience that we have is primarily uh, Christian, could you speak to the, to the local leader and give him some real education to, and that he can share with this flock regarding other faiths, especially Muslims, since uh, a large um, of the listeners are within the United States with a, with a fear of, of Muslims that we have that's unfounded in a lot of places that can improve yeah. the interaction in our pluralistic society. Yeah, I think firstly pastors locally should aim to speak the truth and to try and tell the best stories about others. So the Christian pastor should aim to tell the best stories about Islam and the Islamic leader should aim to tell the best stories about the others. 
when the best stories are told, you find that there is the uh, less likelihood of stereotyping. Or if there is stereotyping, you stereotype for good so that you are more likely to have a positive, a positive orientation or positive perception of the other. It is important also that the leaders model the best practices of their own religion. So it should be that when the leaders within a particular, whether the local pastor or regional pastor, when that leader relates, how that leader relates to people from other religious traditions, must be a way of modeling what is best in their own religious tradition. Because it is in this way you have to minimize conflict and the perception of creating the other of enemy. Another thing that is important is that whether at the school level or at the Sunday school level or at the teaching level within the congregation, how important it is to teach respecting for differences. That, there is no gain saying how valuable that is in terms of learning to live together in a pluralistic society. Given that power kind of goes along with leadership here, how do we, the people, um, yeah, I send this cautionary tale not to use the abuse of power and use and the political um, persuasion that may have, that could actually help um, pollute the, the environment? Yeah, unfortunately, um, religious communities are not exempt from the temptations and the allure of power, or what it means to be in a position of influence and to be taking advantage of the situation. Within the Christian community, you have pastors who are competing for numbers because numbers mean money and numbers mean influence and numbers mean the perception of importance. So um, within, within religious communities, you have the, uh, the, 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 this, this tension, but also between. And I believe that the, you know, creating an atmosphere of equality and an atmosphere of justice which is part of what the religious traditions affirm. It just has to be that uh, religious communities are challenged on the issues of equality and fairness. So whether it is, um, when, when you talk about white community versus black community, how important it is for the churches working in these kinds of divides to focus on the issue of justice and fairness and love for the other. Creating the sense of enemy in relation to the other, it does not help. We've seen the disaster that's just created. So where power is, 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 is being misused or abused, it is because there is inequality. And the role of the leader or the pastoral leader within that context is to focus on what it means for a society to be equal and people to have equal access to opportunities. Let's spend some minutes. That, that's really insightful. Thank you. Just spend some time just um, zeroing on Jamaica in itself and, and your your perspective of what um, the practice of faith looks like, um, given what we just talked about. How does the dynamic of faith plays out in Jamaica from these perspectives? Yeah, Jamaica is a very plural society, religiously speaking. It is um, significantly influenced by the historic Protestant tradition, but also much more significantly in recent times by what may be called the, whole, the broad spread of the Pentecostal traditions. Now, there, there are certain, 
in fact, you may say that much of Jamaican religious life now is under the charm of the Pentecostal revolution. And so there is a significant role that they play in impacting the way church life is organized and being run, but also in terms of what worship life looks like. So even some of the historic churches, we see an orientation moving towards a much more emotionally expressive um, form of worship that would be akin to the Pentecostal tradition. So I say that the whole, the whole island is under the charm so to speak, of the Pentecostal <laughs> Revolution. Well, one of the right. things that happens as a consequence of this is that the Pentecostal Revolution, the Pentecostal movement has, has, has had the challenge not to create such a dichotomy between faith and action. Um, some, of the, some of the things that historic churches and the historic Protestant churches, whether they be the Methodists, the Baptists, and the Moravians, would have been or the, or, or, or the Catholic would have been accustomed to, is to have a much closer alignment between faith and action. So it would be concerned about issues relating to the, the, the structures of society. There's an issue related to how society is being organized. And there's an attempt in the economical movement sometimes to say, you know, um, we, we cannot just simply be praying for peace. We have to also work and do the things that make for peace. So Jamaican society, Jamaican religious life has had this, if you like, dichotomy between faith and action, and it's a challenge in modern times to be able to breach that divide between what the faith says and what the action in community and society has to do with. Right. One of the metrics that I look at is Jamaica is considered as the church per capita is probably the greatest in the world, but at the same time, um, the <coughs> increased violence betrays that type of influence. Um, what would you yes, say? Um, I, 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 we close that gap between faith and action. Yeah, it's it's it, it is a challenge because <clears throat> Jamaica has continued to labor under a fairly unequal society, a debt-burdened society, a society that is always struggling to rid itself of some of the, um, the ghosts of a colonial period, a society that is struggling to um, strengthen its, its per capita its, and its capacity to be able to produce and to grow. So there are issues relating to the education system, there are issues relating mm -hmm. to community development. There are issues relating to how the country actually earns. That is a broader context that has to be addressed, and no, and the church alone cannot address that issue. It has to be, it, it, it's a it's a broad movement where civil society, the political community, the religious community have to recognize that creating a framework for for equality, for increasing the well-being of people is something that has to be done. And that is the context within which the churches are operating. It's a, it's a context of inequality. It's a context of um, a weak infrastructure. It's a context where there's a challenge to improve the education system and the access to health care and so on. Providing those things are continually present the ministry and the work of the churches is going to struggle to be able to 
to be to be effective in terms of the well-being of the community. Okay, uh, the, 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 there's another factor that I'm not sure I I can put my hand on. When we look at other even poorer countries than Jamaica, say for instance our neighbor Haiti, who have, um, per capita is less than Jamaica, but we do not see the same level of violence. What, what would explain that difference? Well, there are two things may account for that. Because of Jamaica's own, um, Jamaica has a certain profile internationally, um, the, the reportage of violence in Jamaica will be much more significant than so the reporting of violence in, um, in, 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 in Haiti. But having said that, one cannot gain say the fact that violence in Jamaica is a, is a significant thing. In fact, the violence in Jamaica has become a kind of an industry. It is chronic. And it is it is it is a it is part of part and parcel of of a, a, a kind of a unfortunate and false economy. It's, there are people who are earning their living from violence, and it is this connection between violence and earning, which, in a sense, for me, is is a big challenge that we have in Jamaica. And until that knot, the cordial knot between live a, a violence as a living until that is broken in a sense we're going to have we have if we have this challenge thing so it is the it is the it, it is we have to see the fact that it is like an economy it's an underbelly of the economy and unless there are alternative um uh, uh, alternative economic opportunities violence will remain a significant contributor to the economy, or people will see violence as a way in which they can create a living for themselves in an economy. Well, one living of the alternatives that the government has been promoting is also considered a vice by the church, that being gambling. What would be, what would you um, insight and in, in, uh, given you being a minister of faith and understand some of the dynamics? What say you regarding the use of that as a tool of alleviating poverty? Well, I, I think the government is aware of the fact that gambling will not alleviate poverty. It is it will be treated as a sport and it will be a way in which money will be transferred from one group of people to another group of people in the hope of winning. So I don't think there's anybody imagining that gambling is going to have some kind of a significant impact positively on the economy. Nowhere where there is gambling, whether in a first world country like this, Canada or the United States or England or Ireland, where gambling is seen as a device to increase the economy. It does not, it does not improve the economy. It simply transfers or housed or, if you like, collects money from one group from people in one section of the society and moves it to another section of the society. So that is simply what's going to happen with the matter of gambling. And if it, so, it, 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 is, it is a temptation, I believe, and it's been a, uh, an old temptation. I do not, um, I do not believe that um, we're going to be able to uh, rid ourselves of the lure of gambling. I have, I have given up thinking that there's going to be any um, minimizing of interest in gambling because it is seen as a way in which as part of the capitalist economy 
that wealth is moved from one section to the other. But it, it, it has nothing to do with growth. Okay. So the, the, another uh, key part of the, the economic wealth of the country or sustenance of the country is the diaspora sending monies back home. The other things that the diaspora could be doing to influence the home situation. What's your perspective of what we should be considering from a diaspora perspective? Yes, I think the, the sending of the remittance issue is important, and we're all part of supporting our families and, um, and, and, and others locally. I think also, um, in addition to and apart from supporting, sending money to support our family, there are different causes and that we can support as people in the diaspora, whether it has to do with causes relating to health or causes relating to education or causes relating to the supporting of projects in communities, um, linking with organizations that are credible in terms of their delivery of services for community restoration. I think these are ways in which um, the, the support can be given. And I would say making making the point of duty to keep contact and to be and as much as we can afford to visit as often as possible so that we keep up to date with the latest that is happening. Um, happily, the uh, the modern communication means so it's it's it's, well, it's pretty comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How how would people get a copy of this fine work? Well, um, there are three places that it can be um, it can be accessed. Um, people may get it from my via my website culturalsolutions.ie that's C-U-L-T-U-R-A-L-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S dot I-E culturalsolutions.ie and if you just go to the um, to the to the to the page that deals with um, deals with resources um, be able to to get a, co a copy of it um, so uh, or there's a copy that on, on the solutions there's a products Section. So that's one place. The other place is that you can get it from the from the publisher. The publisher is University Press of America. You may also get it from that, and, and of course it is available by some of the other um, online trading like Amazon and so on. But I would recommend you you you, you go for the first two. Um, uh, Amazon, of course, is available as an alternative. Great. Well, it's been a delightful uh, conversation we've had. Um, Pastor, do you have any final wisdom for us as we close? Well, first of all, to, to wish you and, and, and the diaspora radio um, all the best in, the, in terms of the work you're doing in connecting um, the, um, the diaspora and reflecting the, the developments that are happening there. And um, uh, just so people might know, and they might pass the word on that we're going to be having the launch of Jamaica in the 21st century. The Jamaica launch is going to be taking place on July 31st. We, we activate just before the independence. It's going to be launched in Kingston and um, on Facebook and on the website and in the media there will be further information about the location and the time. That's wonderful. And to, um, Thank you so much. To learn more about Jamaican Diaspora, visit JamaicanDiaspora.com. To learn more about Chris Daly, visit DigitalToGrowMedia.com. And, of course, to learn more about Livingston Thompson, 
visit culturalsolutions.ie. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Bye now. Goodbye.